Amen. Grab a seat, grab a seat, and open, thank you, and open to the book of James. A couple of quick things while you're turning into the book of James. Um, we went through James chapter 1 last semester, and if you feel a little bit behind, there is hope. Uh, we have a PVN College podcast, creatively titled PVN College, okay, so you can check that out uh, and get caught up on all the good stuff, but we are in James chapter 2. Um, and for those of you who maybe you're new with us tonight or you haven't been with us in a while, let me give you an example um, that helps kind of explain the theme of James and why we're learning about the book of James. Um, last semester, my wife and I, while we were going through this series, um, my wife and I got into an argument. And it was one of those situations where I was convinced it was her fault and she was convinced that it was mine. And, and those situations can be a little bit scary because one of you, in that situation, right, if you're convinced it's the other person's fault and they're convinced it's your fault, um, one of you has to die to yourself or else the relationship will suffer. You have to let go of your pride and put yourself out there by apologizing even when it's not your fault. You have to be willing to lose. You have to be willing to die so that the relationship can live. And I wasn't willing to do that. And she wasn't willing to do that either. And Kristen was upset crying in our bedroom, and I walked out into the living room just, just kind of done with it. And it was probably about 11 o'clock at night. And I like to read, to the surprise of most of you, right? I like to read... And at that time, I had a Christian book just sitting on our, on our coffee table. Um, I think it might have been like Goliath Must Fall by Louis or something like that. Um, so, angry at my wife and unwilling to give an inch, I stubbornly walked out while she's crying, and I pick up my book and I start to read. And immediately, the Holy Spirit stopped me. And I thought about the book of James Look at James chapter 1 for just a second. James 1 verse 22 and James 1 verse 26. So this is what came to me. And again, it wasn't, it wasn't magic. It wasn't like anything like that. But the Holy Spirit used the word in that moment to convict me and remind me what I was doing wrong. Look what it says in James chapter 1 verse 22. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers of it who deceive themselves. So, so while I'm out there, the Holy Spirit reminds me, Ryan, prove yourself a doer of the word and not just a hearer of the word who deceives themselves. And look at 126, 126. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, think about me, a pastor, a pastor sitting outside while my wife's crying in the other room, reading a Christian book. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not control his tongue, but this, he deceives his own heart. And this man's religion is worthless. It's worthless. And the Holy Spirit took and applied that verse to my own life. If anyone reads a Christian book yet leaves his wife weeping in the bedroom, his religion is worthless. And that just rang in my ears. And I put the book down. And I remember specifically I prayed. I said, Lord, don't let me read this book of James and be unchanged by it. Don't let me read this book and be unchanged by it. And I got up and went into the room and apologized to my wife. 
And my wife opened up about why she was upset, which getting Kristen to open up is pretty much a spiritual miracle in and of itself. And so she did that. It was awesome. And I was able to talk about why I was upset, and it was one of the best conversations of our, of our marriage up to that point. And James's point in this book, so why are we here? Why are we talking about James? What's going on? James's point in this book is that the Christian life must be a changed life or it's not a Christian life. A Christian life must be a changed life or it's not a Christian life. Don't let me read this book and not be changed by it. For my own example, if I, think about this, if I had left my wife crying in the bedroom just to sit down and read a Christian book. That is the picture of hypocrisy. And now fill in the blank in your own life. Where are you doing this? You're doing the Christian thing on the outside, but on the inside you're totally missing it. Or you could care less. The book of James is wonderful because it shows us all the ways that our behavior can be changed by Jesus, and even better, all the ways that our hearts can be changed by Him. How we can stop going through the motions of listless religion, of dead Christianity, and start actually living, start being changed by what we're reading, changed by what this book is teaching us. So, Let's dive in tonight with James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. I'll read a little bit. We're going to do some Bible hopping tonight, so be sure you stretch. I don't want anyone pulling anything, right? So James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. James 2, 1 through 4. My brothers, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who's wearing fine clothes and say, you sit here in the good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? So James, so remember, the whole book connects, right? So in order to understand the beginning of chapter 2, we need to grasp the end of chapter 1, okay? So look at the end of chapter 1, James 1.27. This is kind of the, the momentum that swings us into chapter 2, James 1.27. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself unstained from the, wor- from the world. So James is talking to us about pure religion at the end of chapter 1. What is pure religion? What's doing it the right way? What is pure religion? Then he jumps into chapter 2. And now James is going to dive deeper and tell us what pure religion is. So you may want to circle pure religion and draw an arrow down to chapter 2, something like that, so you can understand. This is how it carries over. He's showing us what pure religion is. What is it made of? What does it look like in your life? And the first step to understanding pure religion is that he stops calling it religion. Did you catch this? He actually never uses that word again in the entire letter. Now, listen, religion is not a bad word. That's not at all. But James is making a point, okay? Instead of calling it pure religion in verse 1 of chapter 2, he calls it faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's still this pure religion 
but he calls it faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. James is already showing us the first quality of pure religion, what it actually looks like. It looks like faith. Faith is a desire for an affection for Jesus. Notice I didn't say faith is attending small group. Faith is getting the Awana medal. I just gained some of you there, and I think I just lost some of you there. Faith is consistent VBS volunteerism. Faith is not saying that word. Faith is not attending those. I didn't, nothing to do with that. Now, those, some of those things will show themselves. Those things are not bad in and of themselves. They're not at all. But you've got to understand what James is saying here. Faith is, a de- before it shows itself, faith is a desire for, an affection for, Jesus that begins in the heart before it ever shows itself publicly. Faith is an affection for, faith is a desire for Jesus that begins in the heart before it ever shows itself publicly. Isn't it interesting that when James begins to describe pure religion in a person... He begins with the heart instead of with the actions. He begins with the heart instead of the, the actions. Why is that important? Um, I was reading a news article, riveting I know, uh, a couple of months ago about a hotel in, I think it was in Michigan. You may have heard about this. Uh, this hotel has a water pump at the, on, on the roof of the hotel, and it obviously pumps the water into the showers, into the sinks, into the kitchens, all that good stuff. The story says that a bird had worked its way into the water pump and died there. And the bird was rotting in the water pump for 18 days. 18 days in this water pump being pumped throughout the hotel, through the showers, through the kitchens, through the sinks. Now, the water still went out, but no one can drink water from a dirty pump. You can't drink water from a dirty pump. We are so focused on the practical. I wish he would stop teaching the Bible and give me something practical. I wish this pastor would tell me, give me something to do. Tell me what to do. How do I fix it? Give me some steps to take here. You ever notice how people rarely ever keep their New Year's resolutions, right? You ever notice that you you just feel the shame, right, wafting over you at this point? But I gave you stuff to do. You literally gave yourself stuff to do. But according to James, you can do all the religious actions and still feel empty or depressed or go home with a heart full of lust or obey, or here's the opposite, you can obey with no faith and that obedience just makes you more and more prideful. Now the stuff you do, give me more stuff to do, I'll do it, I'll do it. Now that's not even making you better. The more stuff you do, it's making you worse. But you're doing stuff, it's practical, you're doing things. So why aren't you getting any better? Because your religious action has no heart of faith. You're pushing water out of a dirty pump. You see what I mean? It's, it's, it, you're doing stuff. You're acting. But, it's all, but it's not, you're not getting any better. Nothing's changing. Because you're pushing water out of the dirty pump. Matthew chapter 7. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? There's the water. There's the actions. And Jesus says, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. 
Isaiah 64, all of us have become like those who are unclean and our righteous acts are like filthy rags. You can continue to do as much religious activity as you can and not only will it not work, you will continue to get worse and worse without faith because water from a dirty pump is just another name for poison. Don't ask yourself consistently, what do I do? What do I do? How do I get the water out, Ryan? Come on, come on, Lord, show me. What do I need to do? What do I need to do? If you don't do from a heart of faith, if you don't pump from a clean heart, it'll never work. This is why James starts with the heart, by calling religion, not a list of things to do, but faith in Christ. Pure religion is faith in Christ. He cleans our hearts so that our actions can come from a heart of faith. Only Jesus can do that. We have to start here. Focus as much attention as you can on Jesus, and then the practical will work itself out on its own. My dad used to say, if you do something that you love, money will find you. You see what I mean? If you try to focus just on getting the money, getting the money, you might work a job that you hate and you'll burn out. But if you focus on doing what you love, guess what? You're going to be pretty good at it because you love doing it. You do it over and over again. With that skill comes attention, and with that attention, that with that attention comes a paycheck, right? If you'll start in here, if you'll start focusing on the pump, focusing on Jesus who can clean your heart, your actions will follow. But James realizes we have to start with faith in Christ. Now, verses 2 and 3. Verses 2 and 3. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring, and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, after you pay special and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, you, sit here in the good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there, sit down by the footstool. So you got an ancient church with two people coming through the door. One is poor and one is rich, but pay special attention. Because if you notice, the way they, they realize this is because these are all outward appearance only the ring the clothes these are outward appearance only. that's how they're making their judgment of these people outward appearance only and that's part of james's point sit in the good place probably means closer to the front where the pulpit is or in a higher place where more people can see them that's what sit in the good place means probably closer to the pulpit or higher up where people can see them Look at verse 3 one more time. Verse 3 one more time. And you pay special attention to the one who is wearing fine clothes. And you say, sit here in the good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there. Sit by the footstool. Notice again, he has offered the good, the good place solely on his appearance. The poor man in rough clothes is not even offered a seat. Or he can sit on the floor among the feet of those who are wealthier. There's this distinction being made and this is a problem in the church especially when you think about this martin luther was a great reformer uh, and posted the 95 theses he helped turn the world upside down the effects of what the the reformers did can still be felt today his last words before he died he's on the road uh, he starts having a, essentially an, um, an asthmatic reaction he's in his 60s he's already in failing health he asks for a piece of paper to write it down and he writes this down now think about they split the church, right, the, it, what James is talking about. They divide it based on wealth. The, the, the wealthy people get all the attention. You sit here. The poor people sit here. Listen to what Martin Luther wrote, his last words. 
We are all beggars. This is true. We are all beggars. This is true. Listen to 2 Corinthians 8, 9. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. And again, think about it. They split the poor people over here away from the pulpit, away from the, from the fancy seats, right, on the floor, whatever. The rich people get the good place. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now think about how they split the church based on wealth, and let me read it again. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Why was Jesus born in a manger? The God of the universe, why was he born in a manger? Luther said it was to show the world that anyone could get to him, that anyone could could approach him, no matter what their background, no matter what their financial situation, no matter what their sin situation, no matter what you've done, you can still approach a baby in a manger. You see what I mean? You might not be welcome to see the baby in the palace or the baby in the estate, but a baby, a baby in a manger, anyone can get to. And that's part of Jesus's point. And if that's part of, now think about this, if that's part of Jesus's point, that anyone can get to him. If he made himself the lowest of the low so that anyone could get to him, how anti-gospel is it when we let the rich sit closer to Jesus and keep the poor far away? If they did that, in, if James's church did that in Jesus' day, do you know who wouldn't be able to sit close to the preacher? Jesus, the poor Christ. Look at James chapter 2, verse 4. James chapter 2. Verse 4, so, he, so they see, James sees that they split these people who have been bought by Jesus Christ, who made himself poor, they are now splitting the church based on who's wealthy and who's not. Look at what he says. Have you not made distinctions amongst yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Okay, uh, my dad, Skip, is a basketball coach who does not like to mince words, and my dad proctored a summer school a while back to make a little extra cash uh, for students who had failed too many classes. And one of the kids came up to him and said, Coach, and he pointed to another kid and he said, he keeps calling me stupid. And my dad leans over and looks at the other kid and says, you're in summer school and you're calling the other kid in summer school stupid. And then they all started laughing at the first kid for how dumb he looks but they're all still in summer school all together at the same time. And that was kind of my dad's point, is that these kids are trying to make distinctions among themselves that don't matter when they should have been focusing on the only distinction that matters. I would like to get out of summer school. That's the distinction that they should have been focusing on, right? Not who was the dumbest one in summer school. James 2.4, you have made distinctions for yourselves that do not matter. Rich and poor, that is not the distinction that God makes in his church. So why are you making it in the church? The only distinction you should be worried about, James's point, is who has faith in God and who doesn't. Welcome, for, for us, we should welcome our brother or sister in Christ, period, regardless of where they come from or who they are. 
We should be we should use church discipline and church mercy on our brothers and sisters regardless of who they are, regardless of worldly status, because a day is coming where all worldly status will be gone. Turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. We're kind of home stretch here. Exodus chapter 12, Genesis, then Exodus. Exodus chapter 12, verse 28 and 29. Not to give you a second. Exodus chapter 12. 28 and 29. Now remember, the point here that James is making is God does not make distinctions based on money, okay? And, we're, and he, look at what the point is made in the Old Testament. God doesn't distinguish based on money. Exodus 12, 28 and 29. This is the plagues of Egypt, right? This is Sunday school, gold record, greatest hits, right? This is the plagues of Egypt. This is the death of the firstborn. Now, in order to avoid this terror of the death of the firstborn, all you have to do is take the blood of a lamb, well that sounds familiar, take the blood of a lamb and smear it on the doorpost of your house and the angel of death will pass over you, right? That's the point. Exodus 12, 28 and 29. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So let's stop. The Israelites did exactly what was commanded. God gave specific loving instructions. All you have to do to avoid this is spread the blood of a lamb on the doorpost of your house, and the angel of death will pass over you. Verse 29. At midnight, the Lord does not distinguish based on money. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner who is in the dungeon, and the firstborn of the livestock as well. Do you see Moses specifically cites across all classes of people it happened. Their wealth and their poverty did not matter. Their wealth didn't matter, but their poverty also did not matter. That was not the distinction that God made. That was not the distinction that God made. The distinction he made in Exodus is the same one that he makes today. What did you do with the blood of the lamb that he gave you? Did you ignore it or did you embrace it? What did you do with the blood of the lamb that he gave you? Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, 18 and 19. 1 Peter chapter 1, 18 and 19. And think about what we just read in Exodus, which was thousands of years before Peter wrote this, okay? Thousands of years before Peter wrote this. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Knowing that you were not set free with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. But how were you set free? Verse 19. But with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. It's the same thing here. Peter specifically says, your wealth did not free you. Silver, gold, the blood of Jesus Christ is what sets us free. That's the most important distinction that needs to be made. Just like in Exodus, Pharaoh's wealth did not save him. The prisoner's poverty did not save him. Three quick takeaways here. When we are partial to others simply because it makes us look cool or look better, we betray the name of Jesus because we start to push the idea that there are more important distinctions. Yeah, being a Christian is great, but... This is what matters. Fitting in is what matters. 
Let's make sure that this is a place that that does not happen, especially this semester. Let's make sure this is a place where that distinction is not made. That satanic, awful distinction is not made. Secondly, and I know this is weird for college kids, but I wish I had been taught this earlier. When it comes to giving, when it comes to how you spend, this is, we can't not talk about money here. When it comes to giving, when it comes to how you spend, whether it be tithing, whether it be shopping, whatever it is, look, I love Banana Republic as much as the next guy, all right? I'm just going to put this out there, okay? So let's do this. Again, I've gained some of you and I've lost some of you, and I'm, I'm perfectly at peace with that, okay? Um, here's the deal. Are you spending, college kids, you know, no one's got to teach y'all how to spend money, okay? All right? I was the same way, okay? Here's the deal. Are you spending your money in a way that shows other people that the most important distinction is whether or not you believe in Jesus? Or are you spending your money in such a way that shows people the most important distinction made is in how much you have? That the more you have, that the newer, that the better, that what you have, that's the most important. Because you say, this doesn't apply to me. I don't care about distinctions. I don't make that distinction. But you live in such a way with your bank account that shows the more you have, the more comfortable you are, the better off you are. You're sending, we send that message. Are you spending money on things that show, and again, I'm not trying to, I'm not going to check your statement. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to be legalistic about it. Are you spending money that shows that the most important thing in your life is getting to know Jesus better? That's the point. Are you spending money to show that the most important distinction that we need to make in our lives is whether or not we know Jesus? Not how much we have, not how well off we are. What's the, what's the root of how you're doing this? I didn't say you can't go do stuff. I didn't say you can't, you know, that, that's not the point. But what is the driving force behind your bank account? And then lastly, Let's make sure that we understand that no matter how bankrupt you are, physically, financially, spiritually, there is one, there is one who became so poor that he could come and get you and you could be welcomed into heaven as an heir. There is one who became so poor that he could come and get you and you could be welcomed into heaven as an heir. There is one who went to rock bottom with you and dug under it so that he could get you out of it, so that he could come and rescue you. This is why James takes this so seriously, because in churches we make distinct, whether it be the college service or Sundays or Wednesdays or whatever, we make distinctions. We start to split off. And the important thing here is that we understand the most important distinction in the church is who knows Christ and who does not know Christ? And that's what I ask you. This is the most important thing. Do you know Him? Do you know Jesus? Do you, it has to start with faith. Because if you don't have faith in Christ, if you don't begin by seeing Jesus as wonderful, wanting Him, wanting to get to know more about Him, it's poisoning your works. It's poisoning the water that you're pumping out. And Christ can fix that. And the way he fixes it is when we stick to his word. Let's pray together and we'll be done.